Welcome to the Gain, Grow, Retain podcast. Uh, before we get started, we're going to do orderly fashion. I think I've said this thousands of times now. Hopefully you guys are sick of this, but participant window, raise hand feature. Um, go ahead and raise your hand if you have something to, uh, to talk about uh, or mention into the uh, discussion. But the first question we've got up, it's an anonymous one, uh, but it says, how do you calculate cost to retain and margin on low touch segments? So um, thinking about potentially having uh, multiple positions involved. You might have some automation technology. Uh, you might have other things that you want to build into kind of a cost to retain model. So how, how are you calculating that um, cost to retain and margin on low touch segments as opposed to uh, high touch segments or enterprise? So um, if you have ideas and thoughts, go ahead and raise your hand um, using the participant window, raise hand feature. If not, I'm going to start calling on a few folks uh, to get us started and get the ball rolling. So um, I might actually kick it over to Andrew Marks, you want to kick us off here? What are some of your thoughts on uh, cost to retain and margin on low-touch segments? Anything that comes to mind for you um, in some of the work that you've done? Thanks for putting me on the spot. Um, <laughs> cost to retain. Cost to retain. I'm sorry. I, well, can you go to – I was I was doing something else when you were no, saying, you're fine. asking that the, question. So Yeah, the question was uh, how do you calculate cost to retain and margin when you think about low-touch segments? And so I think the difference that they're trying to make here is that um, how do you, if you have, you know, multiple people playing a role on an account, if you've got technology potentially getting involved um, on some of these low touch segments, um, how do you calculate kind of that rate of uh, retention and, or cost to retain and then the margin associated with that uh, if you're trying to split out your tiers, your segments of customers? Honestly, um, I, I go to my CFO, <laughs> I go to my finance organization and I ask them because regardless of what I think, uh, bottom line is what my finance team is going to say is, is, you know, what's acceptable to them. So, yeah. uh, I, you know, and I, I have uh, time and time again, um, uh, you know, with, with when I was in an operational leadership role, um, I, I was, made friends very quickly with my, with my finance department, especially with my CFO. I had great, great uh, relationships with the CFO. Um, as a matter of fact, we'll be doing an upcoming um, uh, uh, mastermind webinar uh, as uh, in our leadership webinars, which we're going to launch next year. We're going to have some of my former CFOs. Uh, but there's there's a lot to be said about having a really good relationship with your CFO, so you can ask those types of questions. Yeah, and that I would be also, my recommendation. Honestly, that would be my recommendation. Yeah, or become friends with Ed pa friends with Ed Powers. I think that's the other you know that's the other thing I'm probably learning here too. Oh, um, of course, yes. From a from a data driven decision making perspective, Ed Powers is a genius. So, <laughs> so that always helps as well. Andrew, thanks for letting me put you on the spot. Uh, yeah. I know I know you weren't prepared for that, but um, perfect. I think uh, Patty Carr. I think you had your hand raised. What are some of your thoughts here? Yeah, absolutely. I think that the, the biggest thing to to capture that cost is re really understanding how many people are touching that client, uh, especially in the low segment. And so in current company and past company, it's always been around uh, starting with timesheets. And it's a very mundane task. Um, and so until somebody creates a, a better way of knowing exactly when a person is touching a certain client, uh, that, that's really where you need to go back to. Uh, and so then you start putting that towards how much are we charging per hour? Uh, even though, again, with, with subscription models, you're not actually charging that. But, but you need to take that back and consume that. Uh, you, you can start looking at it more from a, a utilization standpoint of, okay, I'm working this many hours on this client. They're paying us this much. Are we in the black, the red, or even? And then you can take that and, and then start looking at the margins from there. Um, well, once you calculate that, it's going to be very obvious as to where, where you're at and when you get that money back from that customer and what your actual minimum can be for a customer, knowing the, the average amounts. Uh, and then obviously you need to force back some time. If you're spending too much time on small clients, 
and you're, you're never going to recoup that money. Uh, ultimately, it's a it's a bad fit for your company uh, if they're not seeing the value for the, the money they're paying. Yeah, I think those are some good points and, and kind of blending that with Andrew's answer, right? I think you made great points there, you know, about how do we track time? How do we look at uh, some of these resources that we're putting against some of these clients, but also making sure that our finance team actually uh, has buy-in to that model or else they're going to throw that out the window once you bring it in, right? So I think uh, first making sure you've got that partnership in, in finance to say, hey, you know, what are some of the ways that they're calculating that right now too? I think that's even a better question because I know they typically have calculations that they're looking at. Uh, we're going through that exercise right now at Higher Logic. Um, it's been a very long, laborious conversation, uh, multiple times over. So uh, certainly, certainly like some of the, the points you mentioned there, Patty. Um, Andreas, looks like you had your hand raised. What are some of your thoughts? Oh, uh, that was more to rescue Andrew, but um, <laughs> <laughs> I totally Thanks. agree with him. The CFO is usually my best friend because not just in that, on uh, many other initiatives, right? Uh, showing the profitability that um, customer success uh, brings to the table is important. And what I've done, especially for the smaller accounts, instead of going through the time sheeting where you really do a lot of breakdown, I mean, we're, we're not lawyers that bill by 15 minute increments or whatever on uh, various accounts, is do more of modeling exercise to generate to generalize it a little bit. So much of our time is going against the small customer segment. Um, so that is the uh, cost of all the uh, employees that get spread around those, as well as the uh, portion of the te technology for the revenue that they're generating to, uh, to then see what is our profit margin for, for lower and higher touch segments. Awesome. That was better than just saving Andrew. Uh, so I appreciate that, Andreas. Okay. Uh, we're going to hit on, uh, I think we've got four people raising their hands. So uh, we'll hit on uh, the four we've got, and then we'll move on to the next question. Just keep things going. Um, I think Ed looks like, I think you had your hand raised. Then we'll go to David Bertel, or David Jackson, Bertel, and then David Ellen, uh, just to round things out. So Ed. Yeah, just to add, I mean, a lot of great responses here. My experience is that there's usually a, a top down and a bottom up approach. So um, I actually have a, an Excel spreadsheet that assists people in thinking through their tiering and chunks that out using some assumptions about uh, what percentage of, of sales are you gonna invest in customer success and then breaks it out by ARR and cost to serve. So you can look at profitability by tier, um, but it's all kind of top down and modeling, but the bottom up approach, you have to marry those two together. I think Andreas was spot on is to do time studies. And usually you, you have to do the study to, to understand really where your time and money is being spent. Most times people assume they know, but they're usually eye popping when you actually see where your time is being spent. So I think it's a combination of both those two. And to Andrew's point, you know, you got to make friends with finance. You know, you're there to help them and they, they're there to help you and, uh, you know, get their numbers. Don't just make them up. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, one question for you too, Ed. You mentioned kind of chunking out um, segments. Are you thinking about segments as it relates to how we're going to market and the markets that we're serving? Or are you thinking about segments as the like the segments that we create in our customer success team, you know, tiered approach or whatever that might be? Is it or is it both? It's more. It's mostly tiering, you know, because when you think the high touch, uh, tech touch, you know, and in between, it's really chunking that out. Because in terms of your resource, where you're going to sign your resources, it's easier just to put it in three three buckets, basically. Yep. Yeah. Cool. Awesome. Uh, thank you, Ed. David Jackson, looks like you're up next. Uh, yeah, thanks. Um, I agree with many of the comments that's been made. Um, we, there's probably uh, an easy way to think about that, and that's to take a lesson out of what uh, acquisition does. So if you look at cost of acquisition, they basically say, what's the sum of the costs of sales and marketing divided by the number of customers? And that's the cost per to acquire a single customer. 
Um, you could then look at the gross margin view of that and say there's a margin perspective. So from a top-down perspective, you just say, well, what's the total cost associated with this segment? And Anonymous doesn't say whether that's the only segment that they serve or whether there's multiple segments. If there's multiple, then you have, as Ed says, got to think about what's the split between the three. The bottom-up done thing I've done several times. Um, it's very, The problem is getting the top-down and the bottom-up to match is quite <laughs> a difficult exercise. And Ed's, there's no um, <clears throat> And that's because they are two completely different things. So it also partly goes back to why you want to do this. If you want to do it as a way of figuring out whether you can afford to serve certain groups of customers, then bottom up is a reasonable approach to take. If you're thinking about how you're going to um, talk to the CEO and the CFO about how much you're spending and whether you're getting a return on that, then top down is probably all you need. Yeah. And I like the, I think your, your point, um, if I'm also re kind of reading between the lines, is also that um, potentially going even more in depth isn't really going to get you that much more. Uh, so like you're saying, like using blended numbers, looking at the way that we approach it from sales and marketing, like, right? Like getting down to the nitty gritty yeah. details may, may not actually yeah. yield benefit. And it's actually just going to be a, um, potentially get to a waste of time where we're, uh, so think about doing 20% of the work for 80% of the- 20 It's of the work a bit like measuring the coastline. Yep. Depends like how it. close you go. <laughs> yeah, I like it. Awesome. Thanks, David. Uh, David, Ellen, I think you're up and then Bertel will hit you and, and move on to the, the next. Yeah, I, I'm going to add a little bit of a different slant to this. I, I think there are some non-cost functions or non-cost factors that have to come into play. Um, there are some strategic factors. So if a, if a customer um, is, is the first customer in a new market that you're trying to penetrate, right? Uh, there may be a reason to keep that customer. If they're a well-respected logo, there may be a reason to keep them. If they're a fantastic reference, there may be a reason to keep them. And those aren't necessarily, you can't put a dollar figure around those, but I think those are factors that have to be included with the cost factors as you consider them. Awesome. Great point there, David. Uh, Bertel, what are your thoughts? No, I um, I think I, I actually, uh, David actually almost stole what I was having in mind, but um, I completely agree with the branding, but as well, uh, we need to take into consideration, especially for the low touch, the cost of automation. On the technology side, company needs to invest into automation, how to, today, many customer success are mixing uh, Excel spreadsheet with a ton of software, gather, spending a ton of time gathering this info, this time, actually not from the client side, but uh, the customer success side is time that could be well invested by building relationship, even with low touch. So automation is important. Segmentation, as David mentioned, is really important to understand which brand we want to keep, even if there is a low revenue to break into a specific industry. But we have as well to bear in mind the not only the company who are spending a lot and usually are going to plateau, but the one who are growing, the startup with five, six people, but we know they are surfing on something really interesting and they have the potential to invest more with us. So today, small, but we are planning for growth. And those are the people that we need to spend a bit more time with uh, in terms of the cost to retain on the customer success time, how much he or she will spend, we should lose his account um, as a low touch. Hopefully it makes sense. Trying to be short, Jeff. <laughs> appreciate that, Brittle. Um, no, I think it does does make sense. Um, awesome, I appreciate the the comments and some of the uh, feedback there for, for that question. I'm gonna jump down one because I think it kind of uh, plays into this a little bit on our list. Uh, and so the next question was, um, does anyone participate in a deal review process allowing approval of a good fit customer um, slightly, I think along these same lines in some regards, just thinking about, you know, if we're going to, if we're going to be looking at the financial metrics of some of these segments of customers, um, you know, trying to see if there's profitability, if this makes sense for our business, you know, how are we helping our sales team understand who do we need to be going after? Who's profitable for us? Who are great customers? 
Um, so does it, anybody have any uh, quick feedback they can talk about if they participate in any deal review process with their sales teams? Um, Laura Lakawara. Thanks, Jeff. Um, in the beginning, I work for SoftBank Robotics. We are a global company, but just for sizing 100 people here in the US, we began, um, launched a product in November of last year, and we started off with a deal review, and that was really protective. But as we scaled, um, and now that we have a year's worth of our product in market, we just did a major lift on churn analysis. So I partnered with GoToMarket, and we used the CSM's data on why someone churned and got that into categories and tracking there. And then go to market has been doing the research and then taking that and getting that into the materials for sales. So we're trying to operationalize what our learnings are so that we don't have to do a deal review um, to the degree that we once were. Awesome. That's great. And I know, uh, I think David Jackson and Matt Miskowski, uh, a couple others, I think there was a conversation also in Gain, Grow, Retain where people had put down some thoughts. Um, I think if I remember correctly, David and Matt had mentioned uh, potentially this being weary of doing this exercise and, and uh, how often, and also, you know, the, the perception um, that can occur if you start to quote unquote, say no to deals, right? Like what's the relationship that we have with the sales team? We might start to be looking like uh, we're kind of against selling or closing deals. And that's not necessarily the perception that we want to get to. Um, so it's uh, interesting perspectives on gang routine as well, but Andrew, uh, or I think it was Andrew, I don't know who was first, but we're just, I'm going in order on my screen. So I don't know who raised their hands first, but Andrew Marks, you're on my screen. So what are your some thoughts here? So uh, we employed this at both uh, when I was at Adobe as well as uh, when I was at Burst. And what we did is we came up with a, uh, uh, basically a calculator that said, you know, that, that, that um, you, you'd plug in the scope uh, of, of what you were trying to, to sell or deliver and it would basically spit out, okay, you need to put this through our deal review process because it checked off these boxes, you know, and that the deal review process was less about, um, it was just, it was more about understanding what was being sold and what was going on. And it was very rare that we vetoed it because our sales teams were pretty good about, um, you know, uh, not signing bad fit customers. Uh, but e even if we had a customer that wasn't ideal, wasn't an ideal customer profile, once again, there, there were, there, there could be some great reasons why we still want to bring them in, right? We're going to learn something from them. Their logo will lead us to other, uh, you know, other deals, other logos. The, the key though, is that you're having the conversation. I've been in, I've been in situations where deals are signed and they're basically tossed over the wall to the post sales team going, okay, you're on your own, make it work. And that's not fair. Right. It, just because yeah. you have this doesn't mean that we're going to we're going to tell you we're not going to do it. We just need to have the conversation. And that's that's and I think that's the that's that's what you need to communicate to the sales team. Yeah, we, we are going through this process right now on our enterprise side um, and we're using it. Maybe I think in the way that you're thinking about, Andrew, it's less of us saying no. And it's more about us preparing and actually potentially even engaging the customer before we actually sign over the dotted line. If we're at a stage where we know it's it's close to being complete, because it's, we know it's going to set up for a better customer experience down the road, especially for some enterprise clients where complexity comes in. We've got a ton of integrations that are happening. So for us, we're seeing it much more of, I think, the way you just described it, Andrew, which is having the conversation and preparing our teams so that we have the right people involved and we can start getting them involved early. So um, I like what you just touched on that. Um, I'm seeing a, uh, a lot of our uh, male friends raising their hands. I'm going to uh, maybe potentially ask some of our, our females and some of our ladies of the group if we can get some diversity and uh, try and get some hand raisers. That'd be awesome. Um, as much as I, you know, love you all who are raising your hands, I would love to make sure we get some diversity of answers. I'll still call on, call on you, but uh, I want to make sure we throw that out there as well. Um, Shane, looks like you had your hand raised. What are some of your thoughts here? 
So uh, echoing uh, a, a bit with uh, with Andrew, starts with the conversation. Usually started with uh, the larger uh, enterprise customers that kind of require that huddle, uh, that alignment, those questions a little bit deeper into the sales cycle to capture that information that would be used and necessary for onboarding. But then we even on a separate thread, we even used that structure and that conversation and the kinds of things we were asking to then do that as a discovery between the teams and then do that in an automated way. So it didn't require that conversation, that huddle every time for every customer, but there could be attributes that we say, you know what, there's a slight risk that we may, we may, not, may not have done this industry before. We are going slightly outside of that, that area that we knew, uh, then it, it could require that, uh, that, that, that huddle, but otherwise, uh, yeah, that, that was it. Yeah, that's great. Thinking about having kind of that checklist and, and trying to use some of the technology where you can to help uh, understand if we need the conversation or not, um, and then make it a little bit more of an impromptu rather than a uh, standing call where it takes up uh, time and time uh, that may not even be necessary. So I like that. But it touches, it touches on a checklist, obviously, yeah. the handover. Yeah, definitely. Um, Anastasia, it looks like you've had your hand raised. What are your, some of your thoughts here? So I think it's, a, can you guys hear me? Okay, good. Um, so I think it's important to have regular conversations with a sales team. So you know which deals they're working on, you know which customers they're working with, what they're promising now. But sometimes sales can overpromise, but you can't overpromise so you can't ever underdeliver. You have to deliver what the promise is. And if you have consistent conversations with a sales team in terms of where they are, what sort of possibilities they have, uh, it would make it a lot more effective. Yeah. I think it's great to, um, as Andrew mentioned earlier with our CFOs, right? Uh, having good relationships. Uh, clearly can't understate how uh, good it is to have relationships across the organization and sales is probably another one that uh, makes a ton of sense to try and coordinate with and engage with, especially if you start to have uh, reps that are playing certain areas that you can start to develop. Um, so appreciate that. Um, I think it's Numra or Numra. Yeah, you got pronunciation, it. So. Both are good. Both are good. Both are good. Uh, awesome. What are some your thoughts? <laughs> Thanks, Jeff. Yeah. Three thoughts here. Uh, we do participate in deal assurance. Uh, Occasionally, our team will actually lead deal assurance. So if our existing accounts were responsible for existing account growth, if our existing account growth is something that's outside of our regular service offerings, we do put it through deal assurance. Um, but in the participation side, I agree with everything everyone said. Uh, biggest part is uh, three things for us. Um, if we need to be part of actively part of the pursuit strategy that we're part of that initial discussion. Um, so we understand what the opportunity size is and therefore if there's any special um, focus areas or any uh, kind of tailored approach that CS can bring as part of the, as part of the, uh, the pursuit strategy. Uh, two, I think a lot of folks mentioned risks. So as early as on, we can be part of the conversations for, for new deals. It helps us uh, understand inherent risk, uh, future risk. Uh, it helps us just be part of the conversation, which is really important. And then the third thing, which is really uh, important specific to my team's uh, role is the market development and the product development and customer development factors that the more we're part of the end-to-end -end process, the more that we can bring that back. We have purview over that. We are accountable to bring market development insights and product development insights back to our organization. So we obviously learn a lot through the deal assurance process and we're part of that conversation so we can bring the, the, the insights back to our organization. Awesome. I like some of those things you mentioned. I also like that you call it deal assurance. Um, I think it's, I always like to think about the naming of things. I think it's way more important than people think about and uh, deal desk versus deal assurance, slight nuance, but I think um, changes the perception of what the meeting is for, why we're meeting. So I like that. Uh, awesome. Madeline, looks like you've got your hand raised. Yeah, sure. So outside of our more formal enterprise deal reviews, we've implemented a, a CSM field seller roundtable. 
And so this is an opportunity where um, based on region, we bring CSMs and sellers together and they each have kind of half of the session to present challenges they're up against. So field sellers might discuss deals they have on the table and, and strategies they want to get around, whether it's about a competitor or it's about a product gap. They bring that to the CSM to kind of generate responses. CSMs also bring opportunities that they're struggling with to, to maintain or to satisfy their existing customer base. So it's it's really bridged the gap between sales and CS relationships. Uh, and, and as a result, we're seeing the CSMs and the sellers kind of break out and have their own follow-up meetings. If say, we say, hey, Jessica, this is kind of your expertise. Can you get in a call uh, as a follow-up, right? So we've really seen a lot of success there. But one awesome. thing I'm, I'm curious as a side note, um, if anyone is dealing with how to support pilots, so if you have enterprise sort of pilot periods, I'm curious how you kind of build that CS responsibility with the sales responsibility for pilots. So if anyone wants to connect with me, I'd love to chat with you about that. Awesome. Yeah. Be sure to, in the chat window, if you can uh, jot down there and uh, see if we can help out Madeline with that. Um, I'm going to call on maybe one more and then we'll uh, move on to the next question. I think Eli, you were up first. Uh, if my... Again, I don't know how Zoom does this. Whoever clicks, you know, raise their hand first, but uh, I'm going to call on you, Eli, and then we'll move on to the next question real quick. Sure. So, so Madeline, I actually, as head of CS, I actually do um, support all the pilots and stuff. So I'll definitely reach out. I have a lot of thoughts on that. Um, <laughs> but anyway, um, so I, I think the first of all, like we do, um, I do run into a situation, a lot of situations with particular salespeople who do do that over promise, you know, kind of situation. Um, so I've been working with the CRO to develop a new comp plan to help align uh, rather than just getting a deal and tossing it over the fence, which generally leads to a one year contract. Um, to create incentive for multi-year signing or, or, you know, a renewal focused, you know, customers who are actually likely to succeed. Um, so it has been a plan to, to get sales back into there. Um, one of the other things that we're, that I've started doing is we implemented a plan of action process before a deal is signed. We don't really do a, a deal review because it's perceived as a blocker in sales. Like if you're just coming to CS to get it approved, if you don't say yes, then, then you, you know, they go up the chain and, and you wind up getting your rear ends handed to you anyway. So, um, hitting a stop gap is not really worth it. Um, what I find is that they submit a document to us just outlining the scope of the project. If they can't successfully even define it, then we know that we're in trouble at the outset, bring it up to leadership then and say, you, if you'd like this to go forward, you should step in because this is not going to end well. Um, it's going to cost us a lot of money to get this customer. We're not going to make any money off it, but hey, it's your deal. You know, you're the CRO, so that's your jam. Um, and lastly, um, and as far as like, you know, pilots and stuff, um, one thing that we've been starting to do is trying to get CS more involved at the demo stage. Um, basically, our CS guys are, are the best product specialists that we have. So um, especially for the more complex demos that we've got going, uh, having them work as the, as the, you know, support engineer on the demos themselves helps us gain a better perspective on how well the product is, is really a fit to the customer. And we get much more insight way earlier on and can kind of tailor the sale into no really you should be doing X, Y, and Z because this is really how the product actually works and you get better alignment earlier on. Um, so those are the yeah. three things that we've done you know, that I've been doing so far in order to help that. Awesome. Those are good, Eli. And um, appreciate some of the, the thoughts too that you just dropped in there for uh, Madeline. Hopefully you guys can connect on some of that as well. We can actually drop that into Ganger or Retain. Um, we can drop a thread in there. So I know we've got about seven minutes left um, and wanted to probably just pop down to something that maybe a little bit quicker, uh, we can get some short hits on. And so Alex Allen, I think you had asked this, which is um, hearing about incentives for clients to complete the training and other critical onboarding activities at the user level. Um, I'm not sure if Marcus Sparks is still here or not, but it sounds like maybe in your breakout room, you guys identified that Marcus was doing something like this. Um, so if he, I don't know if Marcus is still here, Marcus. 
Um, so Marcus, if you don't mind, maybe uh, coming off of mute and maybe giving us a little bit of your, you know, what are you currently doing here to try and help uh, drive some of this? And we'll see if anybody else has any thoughts as well. Um, yeah. So really starting a new position, to, the two things I commented on from my breakout, breakout room, one was building a customer engagement portal. That's not me. That was another member of the, of the breakout whose name escapes me at the moment. Uh, he can chime in here in a moment. Um, Steve, I think it was Steve Corsell. It was Steve Corsell, sorry. There you go, cool. Yeah. Thanks, Alex. But yeah, for me, uh, Jeff, uh, I'm, I'm really focused on fundamentals right now, taking on a new position um, and, and getting my head around where we are as a team uh, with our segments, SMB, mid-market, and enterprise. Um, and my first out-of-the-gate task will be putting play best practice playbooks together uh, for process in each of those segments. So that's where I'm at. I don't have answers yet, um, but I'll be, be uh, looking forward to sharing back as I work through uh, and put together some playbooks. So that's where awesome. I'm at. Perfect. Uh, Devin, looks like you've got your hand raised. What are some of your thoughts here? Yeah, some incentive things that we've talked around and haven't perfected is, you know, giving the client a like a discount or build in that we will not charge an X number of licenses if they do XYZ by a certain amount of time. Um, I don't think that's something we employ frequently or regularly, but it has um, been beneficial, you know, for teams. And I think it's also, again, aligning with whoever that stakeholder is or champion who purchased to make sure that you're following back up there to show that continued return on the investment of why they purchased. We have in the past had issues where, you know, we have an executive that's purchasing something for a team that may not be fully um, in the loop or ready to adopt. So those are challenges that have definitely come up in the past. Yeah, we, um, for our product right now, one of the things that we're trying to do is um, trying to put as much training as we can into the product itself. Um, so trying to get that again, using the product, I think is just inherently going to help some of that. The other thing is um, our customers interacting with, since we're a community company, uh, interacting with our own community. So uh, themselves being a member to us is another way to try and get them um, used to the platform, onboarded, uh, that kind of thing. So I think there's two, those are two things we're trying to do um, right now. Sherry, looks like you've got your hand raised. What are some of your thoughts here? Uh, thanks, Jeff. Yeah, a couple of things. Um, Devin, you had just mentioned something about um, having it like in the sales process, having only an executive or a team that the end user is not in the loop. That is something that we experienced a while ago and have fortunately been able to rectify that because we've had situations where it kind of bit us in the ass. So now we have to be blunt. Um, so now that's actually part. Um, it's something we've spoken to, but it's part of our account planning, which I have the buy in from sales. So it's key that they can't, they can't get this deal closed if there aren't the end users involved in this process. And we try to use the methodology of whatever it is, the pyramid of like one exec buyer, two champions and like three power users. Now I know that's not always, that's a perfect world, but there can't just be one person that you've spoken to unless that one person is the executive buyer, the budget holder and the user, and you have those in small accounts. Um, so we won't close a deal if that's the case. Um, the next part of that I think for us is also that realigning in that handoff process. And then also when we get to the partnership kickoff and outlining what their goals are and moving into that success plan, you bought this for a reason. We're only gonna get, I'm gonna help you get there, but you have to sit across the table with me. And if you wanna achieve these goals, then this is, what, this is how we're gonna outline that and have that external joint success plan where we're looking at this every week and we're outlining what we need to do and how we need to do it to move forward. And that also creates accountability on their end. Again, it's not perfect, but it works most of the time. Yeah, 
That's great. I love love relating it back to success plan too. If you can and, and purchases purchase reasoning uh, and what they what they want as outcomes, it's a good driver. Um, Shane, what are your your thoughts? And then we'll, uh, we'll wrap uh, up for today. I think Devin and Sherry absolutely nailed it. Uh, the <laughs> only thing I wanted to add was it ties into that meeting. So when we had the decision maker, the uh, one at least one of the users in that call and sales and whoever would do the implementation, there's an awareness of okay, I need so many hours from this person. And yes, it's going to be stressful. And yes, they will have two systems at the same time. But as long as her or his chain of command understands that, there's that buy-in. So we took, we did the stick with, uh, yeah, pay more or pay less, like Devin was describing, and then all the things that Sherry said. But it ties into the original one regarding that meeting. It can be very powerful. Awesome. Appreciate that. Um, great. Well, um, appreciate everybody's time today. Uh, like I said, we're going to move our diversity, equity, inclusion into the 19th of November. I'll make sure we have uh, an update there. Uh, but excited to get that um, going. Uh, if you haven't filled out the survey, please do so. That would be awesome. I'll try and go drop in these questions that we just talked about into the into our uh, community afterwards. If somebody wants to beat me to it, feel free to uh, and go drop those in. We'll try and continue the discussion there. Uh, and as always, appreciate everyone spending time with us on your Thursdays. Uh, thanks for spending an hour a week uh, trying to better yourself, trying to better your teams and appreciate you all uh, contributing to this community. So I uh, look forward to seeing you all soon. Hey guys, thanks so much for taking the time to listen to the Gain, Grow, Retain podcast. If you liked what you heard, please take a moment and share the podcast with your friends and colleagues and subscribe. We really appreciate it. Talk to you soon.